Well, hey, how's everyone doing today? It's good. It's nice to hear. Well, uh, as Rachel said, my name is Mike Rutledge. I'm uh, Director of Arts and one of the teachers here at K2. And I'm really uh, excited to be with you this morning as we are continuing our series in Training for Greatness, uh, where we're looking at spiritual disciplines. Three weeks ago, Dave kicked off this series kind of un- helping us understand what are spiritual disciplines, how do we use them, what, what, what is the benefit in our life of applying spiritual disciplines. And then uh, the second week, he dove into our first spiritual discipline when he told us, your mission is, come on, your mission is submission. Yeah, I knew you'd remember that. Where we looked at understanding what, is it, what does it mean for me to submit to God and to submit to others. The big takeaway for the day was to let people in in the highway lane, remember? (laughs) Goodness gracious. All right, anyway, so that was a couple weeks ago. Last Sunday, if you were here, you heard Carrie talk about fasting from a spiritual standpoint as a spiritual discipline and invited, I hope some of you joined in the the 24-hour fast and uh, really experienced what that's like. Today, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And I have to be honest with you here. Uh, As soon as I found out I was teaching this, I'm like, they got the wrong guy. I'm terrible at this, so I'm teaching out of learning, not out of expertise. As a matter of fact, last week, I was talking to the band in the green room, and I said that. I'm like, I don't even know why they're having me do this talk, you know. And and, and Anne, who was leading worship, said, well, if you're struggling with this, it would be good because you can relate to it. So I'm like, okay, well, that's probably somewhat true. But let me, just, let me just take you through like Monday of this week. So I get up, my job, Monday morning, I try and get the boys off to school by 7.15. Well, they usually leave by about 7.30. Then my wife teaches, so she gets off. She likes to be at school by 8. My daughter, Natalie, leaves at 8. That gives me till about 9 o'clock where I have to be here. We start off our days with prayer at K2. So I came in for that. And uh, that finished at 9.30 and then I stayed for an hour and just did some, you know, emails and texts and phone calls and some web stuff that I had to do. And then went home, started working on this message that I'm giving you now. I uh, did that about, till about 2.30 when I had to be back for a meeting that went from 2.30 to 3.30, but it actually went till 4. I should have been home at 3 because that's when my boys get home from school. And if I'm not there when they get there, okay, that just complicated my life. Let me say it that way. And... Uh, so I get home, and I'm like, all right, so it's between 4 and 4.30. I'm thinking, okay, we got to start thinking about dinner. But first, actually, I'm leading prayer tomorrow. I should organize that, and I'm actually doing a presentation in the all staff, so I should get that together. Oh, by the way, Gideon has soccer at Willow Pond at 5.30 to 7, and Jude has soccer from 6 to 7.30 at the ice rink field. That repeats on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but the fields don't always stay the same. Their games are on Saturday in different places. Susie and Natalie play soccer on Tuesday night with practices on Friday. I usually play hockey, but I decided to take the month off. Now, let me ask you, anyone out there go, yep, I relate. Let me see. Anyone feel like this? Okay. So let me finish the story about the green room. So I say that, you know, I don't know if I'm the right guy. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm the right guy to do this because I, I really obviously don't have this together. And, and, and uh, then Ann says that gracious thing, hey, you might be the right guy because you can relate to it. And I go, here's the problem. I don't know if I really want to change. And then Mike Moran, who's, uh, where's Mike? I saw you here. Right here, blame him. He says, that's okay, right? None of us in the congregation do either. 
<laughs> so, hey, truth hurts, man. Laugh at yourself. Anyway, so I want to be talking about simplicity. And here, this Harvard, uh, Harvard Business Review did a research article. It was really interesting. And it was called, Why Americans Are So Impressed by Busyness. And what they did is they tracked holiday letters for years. And they looked at the occurrences of this phrase, crazy schedules. And since the 60s, they found an absolutely uh, radical increase in the number of references to crazy lifestyles. And then they also tracked this other thing, celebrity posts and social media. And all, celebrities are, uh, they call them humble brags, posting about how they have no life because they're so busy working. And then they, they came a little more in between those two. And in the 90s, commercials, which are often sort of the telltale of what society is like, they tracked what the television commercials uh, presented, and they showed that wealthy, affluent people were leisurely lounging behind, beside pools and on yachts and things like that. Today, those commercials have been replaced with people who have busy lifestyles, no margin in their life, and their work is just overloading them. And the conclusion from this article is fascinating because what they found was that although we know the devastating health and medical detriments being too busy has on our lives, it is still the mark of social mobility and status. How busy you are. Hey, how you doing? Busy. Who <laughs> Me too. If you're busy, I'm busy. <laughs> right? Simultaneously, we're conflicted because we're seeing a rise in this idea around simplicity. It's kind of gaining momentum. You've maybe seen this, uh, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. It's a series, right? And she's written, <laughs> cheering. And uh, she's written a bunch of books. Her most famous, listen to this title, The Life-Changing Magic. The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. <laughs> I don't know, that feels a little, little conflicted. She's written many books. They're translated into several languages, and she's sold over millions. And this, the, the premise of this book is that if we simplify our lives and organize, we'll never have to do it again. Life will be great. And then maybe you've seen this tiny, uh, tiny house movement. Have you seen this? This is, uh, this is uh, uh, like, like that. That's a tiny house. And... Uh, it's gaining, like in, in, the, in the housing market, it's, it's gaining a small <laughs> popularity. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, but the point is that people are d downsizing their houses to give themselves more time in their lives, more financial freedom, and be able to live more simply. There's actually a series called Tiny House Nation. It's gone on for five years. We're conflicted because we don't know if we want to be busy or not busy. And this is kind of a problem. And I want us to understand something that's really important here, okay? I am not saying that any of that is wrong. That's absolutely, simplifying your life, organizing your life is not a bad thing. But what I do want us to understand is that by simply simplifying our life, it will not automatically draw us closer to God. And as a matter of fact... If simplifying and organizing your life is all about you having more time for you and you being able to do the things you want to do with your life, then it actually is leading you away from God. And so today we're going to be examining the spiritual discipline of, spiritual, of, sorry, of simplicity. 
And here's what I want you to write down. If you're a note taker, this is in your notes. It's in the app. Profound thought. Remember this. Simplicity is not complicated. That's the takeaway. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Maybe another way to think of this, though, actually is simplicity is not easy. But it is simple. Now, the key differentiator between simplicity in and of itself and the spiritual discipline of simplicity, like any spiritual discipline, is that at the heart of the pursuit is our desire to be more Christ-like, more in the uh, developing behaviors that ultimately produce uh, a likeness to God, where we're more aligned with God and we're more aware of him. And more, if it's not about, let me just say it this way, if it's not about pursuing God, then it's just self-help, okay? Very different than spiritual discipline. And I say this all the time when I teach, the good news is this, we're not the first people in the world that have had to deal with this. The Bible has tons of stuff to say about that. And so what I want to do now is I want to dive into looking at the scripture and understanding what does God's word say about this? And where do we start? We start with the wisest man to ever live in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who definitely had all kinds of stuff, said this. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. In other words, they've complicated their lives. There's another uh, translation that says it this way. I love this. God made man simple, but man's complex problems are of his own devising. See, simplicity is not complicated, but we complicate things. And you know why Solomon could say this? Because he had thousands of wives. (laughs) I'm joking, kind of, but what I'm actually trying to point to, here's a guy who tried to pursue it all and do it all. And his life was very complicated. And he realized that he'd complicated his life away from his original design. And what we need to come to terms with today is understanding that society is sick. It's actually opposed to God. And it teaches very different morality, very very different pursuits than what God and the Bible teach us. We need to understand that today a modern hero is someone who grows up in poverty and then by deliberation and hard work becomes wealthy rather than the person who is born in wealth and by choice becomes poor. That's not a hero. We're shamed for driving old cars, wearing clothes that, you know, until they wear out or not having clothes that go on forever and ever. We crave things simply because others have them, not because we need them. And John Wesley says it this way, we buy things we do not want to impress people we don't like. That is the society that we're competing with, that's teaching a different gospel. I would even say it this way, we buy things to impress people we don't even know, people we've never met. It was really interesting this summer, uh, I got to go out to uh, Los Angeles, and uh, we were looking at a church, uh, I took my family, we were going to visit a church out there, and it was right in Hollywood, and so we're in Hollywood, it's some spare time, and uh, we decided we'd, you know, do the Walk of Fame, you guys ever done that, it's pretty cool, you see all these stars all over the, the um, that's a, I don't know why you whooped for that one, but, or was that a sneeze? Uh, bless you then. Um, we're walking along... The Walk of Fame, we're seeing all these stars, and I came across this one, being a guitar player. Any guitar players will appreciate this star. Oh, wrong one. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's the one I appreciated. But then I thought, you know, 
You can go to the next one now. The reveal is kind of killed, but still. Our pastor, right there, Dave Nelson. One day, one day I'm going to have my own star. But it reminded me of a scene from Acts, chapter, chapter 17. And this is when Paul, he's in Athens, and he goes to the Areopagus. And it's, this, it's, it's Greece, where all these Greek philosophers would meet and talk and share thoughts and stuff. And he's very impressed by the fact that as he's walking around, he sees that they've built idols to all of these gods. And as a matter of fact, they have this one god called the unknown god, because they don't want to leave anyone out. And as I'm walking down the street, I'm seeing all these names of famous people. And my, my youngest boy, my boys uh, are, are like, they're like, oh, man, did you see that? That was a McLaren, you know, X-Niner, Bravo 7. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, that's a Ferrari. And that's a, like, they couldn't get over all these cars. And I'm seeing these stars. And immediately this hits me. You know, this is like Paul. He is seeing gods everywhere. And no one knows the real God because we're pursuing the societal sick God. The one that says, more is better. Busier is better. But the Bible address, addresses the societal sickness just head on. It says in Psalm 62, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And then Proverbs says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Those that are pursuing riches as their God are going to fail. And those who pursue God will survive and prosper. And God, actually, Jesus went toe-to-toe with the, the idea of consumeristic materialism. The Aramaic word for wealth is called mammon. Mammon is the, is, is the word. And Jesus called mammon actually an idol or a rival god. He says this, no servant, Luke 16, can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Later, he says, blessed are the poor, because theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Then he says, woe to the rich. You've already received your consolation. Then he paints this really vivid picture of the wealthy trying to get into heaven, being like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. He goes on to say, don't lay up in, he says this in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And what's interesting about this, he says, listen, where your treasure is, your heart chases. Right? Your heart chases your treasure. Your treasure doesn't chase your heart. And he's not even condemning this. He's actually saying that's just a reality. But so you need to put your treasure in the right place so your heart goes after the right things. But it's not just Jesus in the Old Testament. Throughout all of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Let me say it this way. People complicate their life because they're chasing the wrong stuff. Again, you can't serve God and mammon. Hebrews says, don't love money, be content with what you have. James tells us that we get so envious of what others have, we ruin relationships, cause arguments, and then also we get so envious that we are willing to kill for things. This is the human condition in a sick society. Having said all that, I want to make something very clear. I am not saying, and the Bible is not saying, that your wealth or your possessions are a directly inverse proportion to your spirituality. 
It's not, I'm not saying this is a pursuit of asceticism, you know, he who has the least is godliest. Not true. That can also be an idol. Whether you have, I know, I've known people that have very little that are very ungodly people, and I know people who have a lot that are very godly people. That is not the point. God even, remember he told the Israelites, listen, I know you need stuff. I'll take you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Right? God is not trying to deprive us to make us spiritual. He's just trying to get us to prioritize correctly. And simplicity actually sets a proper perspective for our possessions to be subservient to God. I want to look at a passage here that is really, really, I think, kind of spells out exactly, and it's kind of a little bit longer, so I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I want to give you a few thoughts, because I believe it really encapsulates the spiritual discipline of simplicity very well. It's Matthew 6, and it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, wealthiest man ever, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow are thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, ye of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. The pagans, that's the sick society, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me just point out a couple things. When you're reading the Bible and you come across a passage where you see something repeated, you should pay attention because that's what we're talking about. And what are we talking about here then? Worry. Six times in this passage, it says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Stop worrying about that. Don't worry about it. What are we worrying about? We're worrying about what we have to eat. What are we going to wear? What are we going to drive? What are we going to live in? What's in my bank account? How do I look? That's what it's talking about in this passage. That we're being worried about all of these earthly things and what's in it. Remember that verse? God made us simple, but man's complex problems are of his own devising. We complicate our lives to the place where we are no longer simple and unable to simply pursue God. Because, uh, check this out. This is really cool. He, he, all of the things, just notice this. All of the things that we are pursuing in this passage are either the result of or leading to anxiety and worry in our life. Did you catch that? Don't worry about this because God will take care of it. So we're either pursuing it because we're worried that we're not going to get it or we're pursuing it to get rid of the worry that we have. And what's the solution he offers? Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all the other stuff will be taken care of. 
I want to show you something. Well, let's look at, I want to just quickly look at a kind of a parallel passage here. We find this in Philippians 4, and it says the same thing. It says, don't worry about anything. What should we worry about? Nothing. Pray about everything. You know what everything is? Everything. You know that? Yep, yep, pray about it. How? Yep, pray about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, pray about that. Mm-hmm. See, and let me just, even before I say that, it says seek God first. I want to challenge our thinking, and even my thinking, because so often in life, when I'm, when I'm in, involved in situations, what goes through my mind are thoughts like this. You know, you, know, when, you know what? Right now, I just need to get through high school. Once I'm done with high school, then I'll put God first. Or, you know what? When I'm done with college, I will put God first. He will be my priority. But right now, I got to get through college. Or, you know what? I actually just need to get this job. Once, once this job is in line, I will put God first. Or once I get married, once that girl, you know, once we have a family, a family, that's when I'm going to per- pursue God. Or once, once I get this divorce, then I'll pursue God. Or once I have enough in the, you know what? As long as you're once I have, you never will. This scripture is very clear that everything we do, we should pray about. And if it's not leading to our pursuit of God, it's not good for us. So look at this passage, this parallel passage. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So all these things we're pursuing are creating what in our life? Worry and anxiety. And what does he say? If we seek God, what will happen? We won't have worry and anxiety. Let's go back to this Matthew 6. Let's just replace that word worry with seek God. Because that's what he says here. Don't worry, seek God. Don't worry, seek God. Don't worry, seek God. Don't worry, seek God. So let's do that. What does it say? Seek God about your life. Seek God about your clothes. Seek God about what you're going to eat. Seek God about tomorrow. Seek God about your problems. See, this is what the spiritual discipline of simplicity is, that we're not duplicitous in our life. We're actually only pursuing one thing, and that thing is God. The central point of the spiritual discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and seek the righteousness of his kingdom first and everything else comes in alignment. And if we're not seeking it for the good of God or for the pursuit of God, then that too can become an idol. So here's what I want to do as as we close this morning. I just want to share with you two things. I wish these were simpler, (laughs) but they're not really, so... I uh, wasn't really good at that. And this is directly, a lot of this stuff, by the way, is come straight from the book, uh, uh, Richard Foster's book that's for sale uh, in our store today. Uh, it's called The Celebrations of Discipline, and, and there are many in there. This is just one of them. But he says, and I'm going to read this to you, two things should happen as a result of our pursuit of the spiritual discipline of simplicity. The first is this. Well, let me just read his quote first. Freedom from anxiety is characterized by three inner attitudes. If, we have, if what we have, we receive as a gift. And if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is to be available to others, 
then we will possess freedom from anxiety. Anyone want to be done with anxiety and worry in your life? It's a prescription right here. And it's tied to the simplicity and our willingness to live open-handed with what God has given us. What are the three things? What we have are a gift from God. Point one. Everything we have is a gift from God. Point number two. What you have is to be cared for by God. So that frees me of worrying about if someone steals it. (laughs) God didn't get surprised by that. God's taking care of this and he'll take care of me. Third, what we have should be available to others. As long as you're holding on to something, you're not living freely because you're too dependent on something. But not only should it create an inward attitude, it needs to create, that inward attitude needs to be outwardly expressed. If it's just something I think and I never do, it's not really something I've embraced, right? Until I do it. And if I only do it, and it's not really a change of heart, then it's not really a spiritual discipline of simplicity. So here, here's where it's not simple. Foster gives 10 different suggestions, and I'm going to rip through these pretty quickly because I think there's, each person in here can probably find a couple things in this list that will be helpful to you in trying to free yourself from the sick society and the complication of life. The first is this. Buy things for usefulness rather than status. Right? You need something, buy it. You're trying to impress someone, don't buy it. It's a never-ending pursuit. You will never impress everyone. Own it. Know it. Move on. The second is this. Reject anything that is creating an addiction in you. If you have something in your life that's, and this can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be relationships, it can be sex, it can be all attitudes, it can be possessions, it can be all kinds of stuff. But if it's an addiction, then what it's doing is making that your God that you're pursuing because you aren't able to let it go, right? So if it's an addiction in you, and you need to be, listen, you have to be honest with yourself. And by the way, I should have said this at the beginning. This whole, like the idea of the discipline, spiritual disciplines is not for us to talk about what it is so that you can understand exactly who else needs to do this. <laughs> because this is a sliding scale, right? Well, I have less than this person. I have less than this person. I have more than this. You know, what you need to do, and the only way you'll know if, you're, if this is a spiritual discipline is Are you seeking God first in the decision? The very second you're thinking, you know who needs this? You is the answer to that question, by the way. (laughs) Just should probably say that. All right. Third, develop a habit of giving things away. Deaccumulate stuff. You know, I I would, I don't, I'm terrible at this. I I, I just, I'm being honest with you. I want to be up here and seem like I got it all together, but I'm not very good at this. We do. Susie's really good about, hey, we, gotta, we got too much junk. Let's, let's pack it up and take it to the Goodwill, <laughs> you know? So we do that a few times a year, and I'm actually okay. I, I'm okay letting someone borrow stuff. I'm, I'm fine with that, just as long as I get it back, right? 
But I'm just telling you that when you can let go of stuff and get rid of things, it's really healthy for you. The fourth thing is this, and this is an interesting one. He says, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Okay, I don't know what that means, so let's go to number five. No. <laughs> that is the this amp goes to 11 principle. How many times have you done this? Like you're in the store and you're trying to buy something, and the salesperson goes, well, you know, this one has GPS for Norway. I need GPS in Norway. I mean, what if I end up in Norway? What am I going to do if I don't have GPS, right? And then you buy it, and then, then something, you know, and the more buttons and bells and whistles you have on something, the more things you have to take care of, the more things that break. So refuse to be, you get it. Anyway, the fifth thing, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Wow, this is kind of an interesting one. I think actually iTunes understands this. <laughs> Remember how you used to buy stuff in iTunes? Now you just pay a monthly. It's like nine. You can have every song out there. Just in, you just don't own it. All right? How many of you had stacks of VHS, DVDs, or CD, CDs that you eventually were like, I got to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> right? When we can learn that we don't need to own something, but we can actually, I mean, libraries are actually pretty cool. Six, develop a deeper creation, uh, deeper appreciation for creation. You know, we don't always need electronics and cell phones and things like that. Just be in nature. Understand that God has given us beautiful gifts to observe and enjoy. My wife is great. She loves to, she loves to hike. And I'm like, you want to go hiking? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> Thank you for asking because, wow, I almost said it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not true. I don't know. Anyway, seven. <laughs> seven. Be skeptical of the buy now, pay later. Because when you buy now, pay later, you've already determined what's happening with what comes in because it's already committed. And that can create addiction, slavery, all that kind of stuff. This one's interesting. He says, obey Jesus' instructions about plain, honest speech. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you've probably all experienced this one where you, like, have plans with someone. You're like, hey, yeah, I'm looking forward to Friday night. And then Friday afternoon comes around, and you're like, hey, how you doing? Great, looking forward to tonight. Yeah, about that. Something better came up, and you're out. And we complicate our lives and we compromise our relationships because a simple yes. I'm going to do this. That's all I'm doing. Nothing else matters. It's real simple. That's why I said I'd do this. I'm doing it. This one is super important. Number nine, reject anything that, op that breeds oppression in others. Anything that causes someone else to be oppressed. Our colonial America... Our country was built on the backs of, of oppression. Currently, sex trafficking oppresses millions of people, and we're addicted to it. If what you're doing requires someone else to be oppressed, knock it off. And then this one was the last, number 10. Shun anything that detracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. If it's not taking you towards God, cut it. And I don't know if you remember this. Uh, the movie, remember the movie The Fly, but the 86 version with, with uh, Goldblum, Jeffrey Goldblum? Oh, yeah. 
So he's like this mad scientist. Uh, Seth Brundle's his name. <laughs> and his, he's got, there's this um, Ronnie or Veronica is, is uh, like a love interest slash scientific journalist. And uh, she comes over, and it's really interesting. And she says to him at one point, she says, um, hey, uh, don't you, like, what's, don't you ever, you're always wearing the same clothes. So what are you talking about? He says, like your clothes, you never change your clothes. He goes, oh no, these clothes are clean. I change every day. So she walks over to his closet and she opens his closet. And in the closet, she finds five of the exact same suits. Same jacket, same tie, same shirt, same pants, same socks. And he said... Oh, I learned this from Einstein, and his quote is, this way I don't have to expand my thought on what I have to wear next. I just grab the next set on the rack. What's the point? His point was, anything that takes me away from my purpose of pursuing this scientific project can't occupy my time. I'm not going to put thought and effort into anything that detracts me from my main goal. And for all of us, every human alive, your main goal in life is to pursue God and get rid of the clutter, get rid of the complexity and everything that clamors to be a rival God and an idol in your life. So here's what I want to do. Just one last thing this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite Daniel. You guys know Daniel Pimentel. Where are you, Daniel? So, so Daniel, um, you guys know him. He leads. He was uh, leading our our youth for a while, and um, uh, leads in in our bands, worship. And so, uh, but I just he has a great story. Maybe some of you don't know, and I want you to hear this story. So let, let me just frame it up this way. I know, and and Daniel, you just finished recording a record, right? That's yes, sir. Coming out in a week or so. Next week. Yep. It's really, really great stuff. Buy it. But um, so now that you've finished that, so what's, what's next on, on the docket? World tour. World tour. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, God's timing is really funny. Yeah, we're, we're releasing a record. Um, and I'm, I'm leaving in two weeks to Honduras uh, for ministry. And... Uh, I'll be there for at least a year, so pretty much just <laughs> dropping that and taking off. So the the master plan of do the record, tour it, make get rich. Yeah, you have you, you know you know how it is. Yeah, <laughs> you, trust me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, so so why? What's what's what brought you to that? Yeah. So um, this is actually uh, you know. We've been up here talking about Honduras a lot. Um, they're one of our one of our partners are across the world in Honduras and Tegucigalpa. We uh, we've been sending teams down there for over a decade, and we have a really good relationship with them. But I was down there this last October, and um, just really something I couldn't ignore. Like God was. I'm like, really? <laughs> God, are you, are you saying what I think you're saying? Um, but it's really, it's really interesting when God um, tells you to do something, especially something like this, uh, which is definitely the, the, the biggest, craziest thing he's ever asked me to do. But um, on one hand, it's super out of the blue. Like, wow, I did not, 
wasn't expecting anything like this. On the other hand, though, I feel like when I look back, God has this way of preparing me for that when, he's, when he asked me to do that. Like, I could go back like two or three years and point out all these little things that mm. he had asked me to do, and I said yes, and then, and then kind of led to this moment where, wow, this, prob- this is God. I mean, because it's confirming everything that led up to this. And so, um, yeah, so that's what I'll be doing. I'll be with um, our partners in Honduras, uh, working full-time um, as a volunteer in ministry, and, and I'll be there for a year, so, so that's... So I asked you before, like, so what's the 10-year plan with this then? Like, what, 10 years from now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have all my 10 years laid out pretty, really detailed, and just anyone who knows me, that's not true. But also, <laughs> um, I actually, I kind of feel like the last six or seven years of my life, I've been uh, walking through a fog, and this is, it sounds bad, but it's actually awesome. It's actually God's mercy, I think, because um, uh, when I finally decided, like, I was going to try and be a disciple of Jesus, like, actually, and just give everything to him and not, like, have one foot in the world, like you're saying, um, not that I'm perfect at it, but I feel like I've been walking through this fog and, and about... I can see like 50 feet ahead of me at a time. And the cool thing about that is that God is able to put things in my path and I have the opportunity I can say yes or no to that. Am I gonna say yes to this or am I say no to that? And I know it's from God because I've removed everything else, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of just the way I guess things have been going and I would really like to see out there. I would really like to see what's out there. I would like this, the fog to clear. and. And, uh, but I really think it's God's mercy because he's, he's teaching me to trust him and he's teaching me um, just complete uh, reliance on him. And uh, I, I don't know, just the way that I work, I guess. This isn't, that's probably not for everybody, but the way that my brain like works, that's, that was a very necessary mm. process and still is. And yeah. so I'm in that. I have no idea what's happening after this year is over. I just really, I'm just, okay, I, I'm just trusting the next thing's gonna show up. And I get to say yes or no to it. Well, so. that's, that's just awesome. And, yeah. So let me ask you one, one more question. So we as a congregation, this is your, your current, you know, this is your church home and your, your people here. What, what, what can we do or what would you ask of us in this time yeah. then? Well, I already feel so supported by so many people in this body. And... Many people are financially supporting me. Many people have committed to pray for me. But I would just ask that, you know, if you think about me, <laughs> if ever you think about me, like over this next year, just pray for me. I'm going to need it more than anything. Um, I'm going down there by myself. It's a very new thing. It's a new, like I, 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 I'm figuring this out one step at a time. And so, um, yeah, but the, the cool thing is I, I do feel connected to K2 still. Like this is our partner. We've been... Uh, connected to them, we've been in relationship with them, and now I get to go down there and, and, and hopefully deepen that, and I still have my roots here, mm-hmm. and so um, the next couple teams that come down, they'll see me down there, like, hey, like, I get to say hi to you all, who, who I think people have already started signing up for the next trip in March, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, just, just prayer, I guess, and, and uh, that's, that's it. I okay. guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, 
Awesome. I want to do that right now then. Um, yeah, I just want to pray for him, and, and you guys join me in, in praying with me, uh, even in this moment, uh, for Daniel, all right? Lord Jesus, we just, um, we're so, man, you, you are leading us and guiding us all the time, and if we could remove the clutter in order to get to the place where we could hear your voice clearly, as Daniel was saying, there's nothing left but what's in front of me, and so I can say yes or no. But if we could get ourselves to that place and be obedient, and whatever that is, whether it's Honduras or something in our workplace tomorrow morning or something in our relationship or whatever it is, if you could just get us to help us get to that place, Jesus, we ask that. And I pray for this next year and whatever, however long it becomes after that, that you would work in Daniel's life, work through Daniel's life and his obedience to you, and that you would do just way more than he would even uh, think could happen. Thank you for this great example of someone who's pursuing you wholeheartedly and hearing from you and following your voice. We ask for your blessings on him. We ask in your name. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. So we're just going to do one more thing because here's the reality. We will not put our trust in God and God alone until we believe that he is good and has our good intention in the forefront of his thinking. And so I just wanted to close. We sang this song as we opened the goodness of God. And I just want to invite you to stand with us as we sing this one more time, declaring the goodness of God as we close.